So, just to review slightly what we were talking about last time, we're in the middle of a point here, uh, reviewing. So, Rav Cook was describing to us the concept of bitachon ha Most people, when we think of tshuva, as we spoke about last time, think of something which is heavy, think of something which is scary, which is sad. Sometimes regret is a part of tshuva. But there's a whole other world, there's a whole other part to tshuva, which is filled with light. When it comes to Rav Kook in general, everything with Rav Kook is or, is orot. And so orot ha-tshuva, oros ha-tshuva, is, as we will see, is a compilation of Rav Kook's reimagining of the world of tshuva, poetic reimagining of the world of tshuva, not from scratch. Rav Kook wasn't making this up. He was drawing from other sources deeply in order to come to and arrive at a place of a new, a revolutionary way of looking at the world of tshuva. So before we jump in, we're in letter Shin Ayin Ches. It's a letter, like we spoke about last week, that Rav Kook wrote to Rav Yaakov Moshe Charlap in the year 1911. And we are on the back side of the sheet that you have in front of you, if you have the, the photocopy, on the fourth line. Before we begin that, I just want to dedicate our learning this evening to Arya Yerfal Ben Yehudit, our dear friend, who is uh, post-op. He had a surgery today. We should have a speedy recovery, and I hope this surgery went well. I haven't heard from him yet, but I hope and trust that the surgery went well. And uh, in addition to that, we're going to dedicate our learning this evening to Paula Bas Myra. Anybody else? Okay. And David will recite the rest of the names uh, quietly. So we're on the fourth line. And last time we were talking about the concept of bitachon tshuva, really having faith in tshuva. Not being afraid of doing tshuva, not feeling heavy about tshuva, but rather being able to put your trust in tshuva. Being able to say that no matter what I do on this journey, no matter how many times I slip, I can always pick myself back up. And that will actually allow me to do more, to not be afraid to make mistakes the frozen feeling that a person gets when they're, trying to, when they're trying to serve Hashem, but they're scared about the possibility of messing up, becomes somewhat negated when we recognize that tshuva is something which is prior to, before there was a world, there was tshuva. Built into the world is the necessity almost for stumbling, for falling, and from the very first Pasuk of the Torah, or the second, I suppose, that's a good start. Hashem is creating heaven and earth. And the Eretz is tohu chaos and complete desolation, darkness on the face of the abyss. There's all these nasty kind of forces that are out there in the world, and Hashem knows that before He even starts to create the world. And so therefore, prior to giving us the possibility of falling, there is already the possibility of getting up. And as we spoke about last time, this is the last piece of introduction, then we'll start to read. As we spoke about last time, Hashem, in creating the world with the Koach HaTshuva as kind of the back burner kind of level of, you're going to make mistakes. This is necessary because the world is perfecting. It's not perfect. 
we spoke about this concept last time, that Rav Kook's idea of the relationship between Hashem and the world is that Hashem is perfect. Part of perfection is growing. But if Hashem is all-knowing and all-powerful, then there's no room for growth in the divine, Kivyachal. And so the way that Hashem deals with that, on the one hand very simply, on the other hand very mind-blowingly, is that Hashem says, I'm going to create a world that is imperfect, that will be able to grow, which is really an aspect of myself, which is growing, which is perfecting. And in order to make that happen, there needs to be the possibility of making mistakes also, because part of growth is making mistakes. So continue on line four. Once we start to relate to tshuva in this way, we start to relate to tshuva in, uh, maybe with a different set of eyes, that it's more about trusting tshuva as a, f- a, a friend that's there to help us on our journey. This gentle joy called tshuva begins to, begins to show its face more, become less afraid. Because as we continue to grow and as we become more perfect, so the stakes kind of, right? Imagine you have a, a kid or at a, when I was younger I played piano, I still play piano, but when I was younger I used to do some recitals. You know, so you, you work, you know, for a few months, you learn a piece, and then you do a recital. And the parents come and whatever. So if the kid makes a little mistake here and there, it's no big deal. It's a kid. It's a piano recital for a seven, eight-year-old. But if you become a concert pianist, you become a professional, so then the little mistakes become more noticeable and it becomes more lo naim for you when you make mistakes. As you continue to grow and you continue to perfect, as a person becomes a greater and greater tzaddikes or a tzaddik, so then the stakes become higher and the koach of tshuva, the bitachon of tshuva, becomes all that more present. Your ability to rely on tshuva and say, I have to trust myself to make a big decision right now. And it could be that I'm wrong because I'm only human. And yet, I can trust in the koach of tshuva to be there in the event that I make a mistake, when I make a mistake. And that's why we find a whole Masechta called Maseches Horios, which is all about when the Sanhedrin Hagadol in Yerushalayim makes mistakes. What do we do when the, Sanhedrin, when the greatest Torah scholars of the generation make mistakes? And that Masechta also talks about when the Nasi makes a mistake. If a Nasi or a Melech makes a mistake, there's a certain type of, a special type of carbon that they bring. And Chazal say, Ashrei Hador, praiseworthy is the generation. When you have leaders who are able to admit the fact that they're not perfect and that they make mistakes. That they're just people. So as we continue to trust in tshuva and continue to grow, the simcha and the hatzal of the ziv adanim holichu misrabe, ad shan neshama matchilu lahargish vhargasha zaka pnimis vaadina ech kol azdonos lekol madrigosehem. And then once a person starts to trust in tshuva and starts to really get into the sugya of tshuva, they start to understand how all of their past mistakes, the ones that they did by accident. And the mistakes that were not so much mistakes, but the mistakes that were called zdonot, where a person did something, they, with open eyes, they looked directly, and they said, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but either I'm not strong enough or I don't care, chas v'shalom. And they did what they did. Through when tshuva starts to develop itself in a person's life, because it's always there. There's a concept of tshuva that pre, you know, it, it predates the, the creation. But when a person allows that ore of tshuva to come into their life, they begin to see how all of their previous mistakes become something which they 
they kind of relish almost. There's a story from Rav Simcha Bunim. Rav Simcha Bunim of Pshischa was one time traveling with one of his students and they passed a certain town and as they were passing by this town, the students started to sigh and started to like, you know. And Rav Simcha Bunim said, everything okay? And he said, oh, Rebbe, you know, before I was uh, one of yours, you know, before I was your Talmud, you know, I lived in this town. And if I told you the stuff that I did in that town before I came and was Choser B'tshuva, before I, re, you know, rejoined the ranks, so to speak, you would throw me right off this carriage into the mud where I belong. He, and then the Rebbe looked at him, you know, and he said, he said, oh, Rebbe, I, I wish I could just erase all of it. And the Rebbe grabbed onto him, be careful with the microphone, grabbed onto his shirt, and he said to him, chas shalom. He said, God forbid. He said, you and I are not going to be mavater on a single one of those averes. That means in Hebrew, we're not going to, we're not going to renege on a single one of those averes. We're not going to give up on any of them. Because every single one of them, now that you're with me and now that we're together and now that we're on this journey together, is nothing more than, or nothing less than, a stepping stone towards where you are right now. And eventually, if we do this right, will be literally nothing less than a crown jewel in God's keser, in Hashem's keser, in Hashem's crown. Rabbi Nachman, who Rav Kook and Rabbi Nachman very connected with each other. So last year during the summer, during Corona, I gave a series of shirim on Rabbi Nachman's Tikkun HaKlali, which effectively the shir was more or less a shir on Tehillim, because the Tikkun HaKlali is 10 Mizmorim of Tehillim that were handpicked by Rabbi Nachman, that he saw as kind of a synopsis, as the spark notes, if you will, of, uh, of Sefer Tehillim, that if a person wanted Ki'ilu, the koach, the strength of saying all of Sefer Tehillim in one shot, they could say these 10 Kapitlach of Tehillim, these 10 Prakim, and it has the koach of saying all of Sefer Tehillim. The first of those is called Mechtam le David. And the Mepharshim have big machlokas, what does it mean, Mechtam le David? Some Mepharshim say Mechtam le David means a crown of David. Like the word Kesem Tahor Paz, like we say from Anam Zmiros. Kesem Tahor Paz, a golden, a pure golden Kesem means a crown. But we also know that the word Kesem also means a stain. In halacha, kesa means a stain also. So, so which one is it? David Melech begins his tikkun haklali, his cure-all for tshuva. Here is the prescription, the doctor's prescription for tshuva. And the first words of that prescription are michtam David, a michtam for David, which simultaneously means a crown of David, a crown of glory for David, something he's most proud of, or michtam, a stain a blot that he can't get off his hand, no matter how many times he washes his hands. Some deep scar in his soul. Which one is it? So the answer is it's both. Because the scar, when properly dealt with, when we air the trauma of chet, because every chet is a trauma, when we air that, that, that trauma of chet and we come back, we use, we lean on the, on the koach of tshuva, and we return, then slowly, those scars themselves become, you know, war scars that become something that I show off and say, do you know where I came from? Do you know what I did to get to where I am right now? And so for Rav Kook, Rav Kook says, as the Koch of Tshuva begins to roll to a boil, we start to feel how the Zdonos become Zchuyos, 
L'kol madre goseyem. Whether we're talking about the worst of errors that we ever did on purpose, the kal v'chomer hashkagos l'kol minehem, and the things that, as a human being, we just slipped up here and there, all of those mishafchin l'zchuyos gemuros, they all become full merits. The secret of what we were talking about before, before the shir started, before the, the cameras were rolling, we were talking about this mysterious nature of free will, this paradox of, on the one hand, while I sit here in the presence of being able to make a decision in the, in, the, in the current present, I look forward to that which is in front of me, and I, of course I have free will to pick up the pen, put down the pen, everything that's in front of me, but everything that's behind me, I'm able to look at all of those mistakes and say that those were mere falls that were necessary for me to get to the place that I am now. If I wouldn't have made that mistake, if I wouldn't have said that silly thing to my spouse, to my child, I wouldn't be as good of a parent as I am now because after doing that, I now had that conversation. I did shuva. I spoke to my child. I spoke to my wife or to my husband. I had that conversation with the friend that I had a fallout with. And now, not only was that not a bad thing, but it was the greatest thing that could have ever happened because I speak to a doctor, every doctor knows that if a bone breaks in a place and it heals properly, the, the, the bone is actually stronger in that place than it was before. It's very unlikely that the bone will break again because of the way that the bone heals itself. It's much stronger than it was before. And all of those mistakes, all, whether there's donos or there's shkagos, whether they're on purpose or they're by accident, they're all in this hapech to be zechuyos gemuros. So here we already see, you know, I don't know, like I said before, where the Sefer got its name, Oros Hachuva. Everything with Rav Kook is Oros. But here Rav Kook says that Chuva helps us to pull a treasure out of the dark. Rechush Gadol Osher Rav, some unbelievable treasure trove, that's mitoch otzras choshech, that's sitting in the dark, that's buried somewhere in the dark. It's interesting, Rav Dessler writes in Michtav Meliyahu that sometimes a person who is a great person, and great people, that doesn't just mean people that you read biographies about, it means us also. Sometimes a great person, each person on their own level, will make a mistake, this is an amazing idea, sometimes will make a terrible mistake that's really not for their level, because there's a minor mistake that they weren't paying attention to, that if not for that major mistake, they never would have stopped to do an accounting of their life to find that minor mistake. In other words, Hashem will push their hand, like the Gemara says, David and wasn't shaykh to the mistake that he made. Am Yisrael with Chayda Egel, they weren't shaykh to that mistake. But there were other smaller mistakes that they never would have dealt with if not for the fact that Hashem forced their hand to make a bigger mistake so they say, whoa, what's going on here? I need to stop for a second, do an accounting, see what really my life is going, what's my day-to-day schedule, what's, what's happening here, and then I find the minor mistakes together with that major mistake that I would have ignored otherwise. Because there's something which is hidden, there's some treasure which is hidden down there in the dark. Listen to the Pasuk that Rav Kuk quotes a little bit out of context, but so beautifully. V'nafshi tig'al biyad tashish b'yeshuaso. Excuse me, tasis b'yeshuaso. He quotes the Pasuk that my soul will rejoice in Hashem like a, like a poor person who 
some vigilante came out of nowhere and saved him from a thief. In other words, the thief is time itself. The thief is being a human being in time and space. And tshuva is this thing that comes in, nafshi tig'al biyad ba'ashem. Nafshi tig'al ba'ashem. My soul will rejoice in Hashem. Tasis bi'yeshuaso. It will, it will exalt in His salvation. Chol atzmosai tomarna. All of my bones will sing out to Hashem. Michamocha. Matzil ani mechazak. Hashem, you save the poor person from the person who's stronger than them. Mechazak mimenu. Ve'ani ve'avion migozlo. You save the destitute person from the person who's trying to rip them off. The Yetzer Hara, time itself, human frailty, these things are trying to rip a person off. It's the Koach that Hashem created in the world. It's not a bad Koach, it's a good Koach. It's a good Koach. It's good that Hashem created these Kochos in the world that make us recognize that we're not perfect. It seems it's, it's, it's entropy. It's the fact that things are falling apart. Say more. Yeah. The, the creation itself is a chait. That's what we spoke about last week. Mm-hmm. That creation itself is an occlusion of Hashem's presence in the world. Before creation, there was only Hashem. After creation, there is the appearance of things other than Hashem. So creation itself is a chait in the sense that it blurs our vision. It blurs our ability to see things as they really are. And tshuva is best translated as recalibration. Tshuva is recalibration. And so every time that there's an attempt by life itself to steal little moments of perfection because of the nature of being a human being in the world, Tshuva comes along and allows us to rejoice. Nafshi tig'al ba'ashem, tasis b'yishu asam. So that's point one for tonight. Let's pause here for a second. Point one for tonight is to recognize that when we live in a world of tshuva as a card that I pull out and say, I'm going to be okay. I can always fix. As Rabbi Nachman very famously said, if you believe that you can break, if you believe that Hashem gave you the power to destroy, believe that you could fix. If you have enough self-confidence to think that you could actually break something or ruin Hashem's plan somehow, if you're delusional enough to think that, then recognize that Hashem also gave you the power to fix it. So point one is once you have this bitachon in shuva, recognize how the mistakes, the scraped knees that you collect along the way, the scars that you collect along the way, eventually and inevitably become something that leads you to higher levels of service of Hashem. And therefore, something that you can rejoice in. Now, in addition to that, Bez, Rav Kook says, when a person sees tshuva as something that comes from a place of bitachon, hadeya mit'ale ad oz. Now, this is something you would not expect, as many things Rav Kook writes you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect. Rav Kook writes, tshuva not only is not sad, and there's an aspect of bitachon, and it could change the past, tshuva is edifying. Tshuva is something which can educate you. 
it can expand the power of your mind. How? Tshuva has the ability to grow your capacity for understanding. So we touched on this very, very briefly a moment ago, but now Rav Cook will spell it out very clearly. Everybody knows, everyone understands that a child, when a child is small, when this child is still young, they're not very nuanced. They can't understand contradiction. If you love me, so then why are you causing me pain right now? Why are you giving me this shot? Why are you making me, have, why are you making me swallow this yucky medicine? Why are you making me go to sleep? I want to stay up. No? Yeah? So, so, as we get older, you start to understand nuance, that things are not so black and white. Your mind begins to expand. Tshuva, because of the paradoxical nature of tshuva, that we could literally change the past. We could turn that which was bad into something which is good. That's a bit of a paradox. Tshuva, which is predicated on the understanding that I have free choice looking forward from the present, but I didn't have free choice in the past, but I, I had free choice when I made the decision, but now that I'm past that, it needed to happen. That's a very sophisticated way of thinking. And so Rav Cook says that tshuva actually has the capacity to expand our mind because it allows our brains to operate in this dualistic space where something and its opposite can both be true. What I did in the past, was that wrong? Well, if I look in the Shulchan Aruch, it seems to be it was wrong. But at the same time, I'm able to somehow understand, no, that was actually good. That's a very sophisticated way of thinking. Yeah, tr- try to explain that to, to a six-year-old. It's a very complicated thing to, to wrap your head around. Even to a 36-year-old, 37-year-old, it's a very complicated thing to wrap your head around. And so Rav Cook says that if we, if we could somehow, and again, remember, this is before the Sefer came out, so if we could somehow encapsulate the, this incredibly profound intellectual underpinning of tshuva, we can really bring the world to like a philosophical place that it's, it hasn't arrived at yet. Like a real paradigm shift in the way of looking at the world that will alter the way that people think completely. Now he's gonna, let's, let's hear his words. Das itself, the, the human capacity for reason, will become more expanded if we can succeed at presenting this concept of tshuva to the world, of this recalibration. Shall olam elyon, olam shorashi havayos b'tzirasam A world where that which is presented as physical down here is still in its elemental, even theoretical state. When the world is still in its idea form. It's interesting, Rav Cook oftentimes is drawing from a lot of different worlds, which is why it's so hard to study Rav Cook, and we're, we're doing our best here, you know. Rav Kook, sometimes, you know, there's, um, there's a sefer that Rav Kook wrote called Reish Milin, which is actually printed in this same volume, uh, where Rav Kook studies the letters of the Aleph Beis. They're little short paragraphs. 
Um, a friend of mine actually did a series uh, on the letters of the Aleph Bezer of Cook in, in Reish Milin. It's available online. Um, and he went through all the letters of the Aleph Bezer of Cook. Very complicated, very difficult sefer. In that series, I, rem I remember he, he cited a, um, a commentary. There's a commentary, which it's not extant anymore. It was lost uh, somewhere in one of, the, one of the wars, written by Rav Chaim Yaakov Levine, who was actually my, my Rebbe's growing up, his, his father, that was his father. My, my Rebbe, Rav Avram Yitzchak Levine, was named after Rav Cook. His father was Rav Chaim Yaakov Levine. He wrote a thousand-page commentary on this, you know, teeny little, it's like this long, the whole thing. And Rav Cook saw the commentary in his lifetime, and Rav Cook said that Rav Chaim Yaakov very much understood the Kabbalah in the Sefer. He understood the mysticism in the Sefer, but he didn't understand the, the philosophy that I was quoting in the Sefer. And Rav Cook was an expert in, he read everything, he knew everything. Rav Chaim Yaakov, he said, was able to see my, where I was alluding to certain things that are, like, he, he got the Kabbalistic pieces, but Rav Chaim Yaakov, he was a, you know, he was a yeshiva man. He, he, didn't, he didn't learn philosophy. He didn't, Rav Cook had all these different parts to him. And so that's why when you learn Rav Cook, if you're a poet, you see poetry in, in, in Rav Cook's writing. If you're a scientist, you can see certain things in science. Rav Cook here is undoubtedly referring here to, there's a, a Platonic idea from Plato about the, the world of shapes and forms before they come into the world. Very pasha, very basic. I'm not an expert in philosophy. But very basically, everything in the world, when it comes down to the physical world, a chair, Lamashal, that I'm sitting on. So there's the physical chair that I'm sitting on, what we'll call the chomer of the chair. The Maharal speaks a lot about this as well. There's the chomer of the chair, the physical chair. And then there's the tzura of the chair. The tzura is a metaphysical idea of chairness. How good a chair is depends on how much the physical chair conforms to the philosophical idea of chair. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Rav Cook says that tshuva is higher even than that world which is deciding the abstract form of things. Before you get into the physical space of the world, there is the abstract ideas of the world. And slowly, throughout human history, we've kind of developed these abstract ideas and been able to, the philosophers of the world, and the Mikubalim, and the Hasidic masters, and the Bali Musr, all of them are pulling out these abstract ideas and trying to quantify them in a way that we can relate to. Higher than the world of that abstraction, which hasn't even been fully pulled down yet, there's some of it that we have in all the books that are on the shelf behind us, but there's this whole world of abstract ideas which are so high. Rav Cook says, tshuva is before even that. And so if we can access the world of tshuva, then memela along the way, automatically, as almost a byproduct of that, we will automatically have access to this world of the abstract ideas and we'll be able to completely change the way that human beings think. That's all in this sentence right here. Hadeya mit'ale, let's read it again. Hadeya mit'ale ad Romeo's, our our das, human reason, will elevate itself to the, high, to the highest places. Shall olam elyon, to some higher world, olam shorashi, olam shorshe havayos betsurasam atzilis. The world where things are still in their abstract form, their tsura atzilit. Binomam ha'elyon. And this way of, this is also such a beautiful line here. And that way of living that we've kind of been kind of just making do with until now, 
which is so circular. This world where we're kind of like going in circles and it's so crooked and it's not a straight path. And like, you know, we say something which is not entirely true here, so we have to make up for it by doing this and a little. We're just schlepping around all the time trying to like dance through hoops instead of just being straight about everything. It's this very circular path. Think about the Jewish people in the Midbar for 42 years when, for all intents and purposes, it was like a, a few days' journey to get to Eretz Yisrael. Just wandering around in the desert. And that kind of imagery is what Rav Kook is like drawing on here. If we stop living this life, which is just, and we start to tap into this inner drive which is animating all of our lives to try to elevate ourselves to a place of holiness, to a place of good, to start walking the straight path of life. Which also has its twists and turns. It's also saviv. But it's leading us along the path of bracha and simchas olamim. B'chol ha-yitzur kulo. Tachas kol ha-shamayim yeshrehu v'oro al-kol knafot ha-aretz. V'akol poseach shira. Then everything begins to start singing. The Arizal has a line where the Arizal explains that halacha, all those dry, boring books of halacha, chas, chas right? Chalila. Halacha is Roshe Tevos, Hariu Lahashem Kol Haaretz. The whole world is singing Tashem. You ever look at a piece of sheet music? It's very boring. Black notes on a, on a piece of paper. But if you know how to play those notes, the whole world starts to sing. The whole world begins singing. And so tshuva is the path that reroutes our dissonant notes. It's like the violinist in the middle of his violin solo, you know, it's like the deepest moment. He's like, his eyes are closed, he's in this violin solo in the, middle of the, in the middle of the concert. And all of a sudden, the guy who has those uh, cymbals, you know, comes along in the middle of the violin solo, and just, while the guy's like, he's looking at the sheet of paper, and he doesn't know how to read the music properly, and in the middle of the violin solo, he just starts smashing away on the, on the cymbals, and he interrupts the soloist. And so that's what happens when a person kind of goes on this sivuv, this carousel of chaos that's trying to bring a person to a place of chet and avon. And tshuva is the ability to draw all of that back into the world of shira. Hakol poseach shira. It's interesting, Chazal and the Medrash described the first person to do tshuva was Adam Arishan himself. Well, it was Kayan, I guess, Derech Agav in this, in this Medrash. That, we'll read the line in a second, Rav Kook is alluding to this Medrash, certainly. That Adam bumped into Kayan on Sunday, you know, Friday, Erev Shabbos, Adam and Chava ate from the Eitz Adas. Got to spend Shabbos in Gan Eden. They were kicked out Mosei Shabbos. Sunday, I suppose, Cain killed Hevel. And Sunday afternoon, Cain's walking around, and Adam bumps into him after the whole aftermath and says, Nu, how'd it go? Like, what was, how'd your court case go with Hashem? And Cain said, I did tshuva. Hashem let me off the hook. Seven, uh, seven generations. So, so, so Adam Rishon says, I didn't realize the koch of tshuva is so profound. Mizmor shir liom hashabbos. That's what the Medrash says. Other Medrash said, Mizmor shir liom hashabbos. That's what he responded when 
Chazal see Mizmor Shilam Shabbos has not as much to do with Shabbos as much as it has to do with the Shabbos is a formulation of Tshuva. Lashuv, Shabbat, Lashevet, to, to return. Mizmor Shirli Om HaShabbos. What an unbelievable song the song of Tshuva is. The song of Tshuva is the thing that takes all of those slamming of the symbols at the wrong time in our life and starts to put the pieces back together and kind of edits out all those parts and in fact maybe incorporates that in a way that makes the song even more beautiful. So says Riff Cook, it's the song of Adam Rishon. What song of Adam Rishon? The one that we were just referring to. The world is no longer this, you know, Rabbi Kiva Tatz, who is such an unbelievable writer, amazing. Rabbi Kiva Tatz, in one of his books, I think it's in World Mask, he describes the experience of a person riding on a train. And the train is going to some very pleasant destination. You know, you're taking the train to go pick up your spouse after they've been away for a few weeks. And the train makes this kind of cyclical sound. And so since you're in this place of inner calm, and not only inner calm, but inner yearning, the cyclical sound is kind of like, you know, it's nice. It's like there's, there's a little bit of poetry to it. There's some, right? But then Rabbi Kivitat says, but if you're on a, the same train, and you're going to some dreaded meeting, you know, you're going to that court case or whatever, you know, that you know you're guilty. The, the, the red light got, you know, you got caught on the cameras, you know, and there's no way you're going to talk your way out of it. That same cyclical sound of the train or the tick, tick of the clock is driving you absolutely mad. Because the human being seeks to have an inner harmony and an outer harmony that are in resonance with one another. If the outside world, he gives another example, Rabbi Kivitatz, he says, you walk into your house after a good day, and everything's exactly where it is, except maybe one of the chairs is like a little bit out of place. So you just walk over to the chair, and you simply kind of like shift it a little bit, because you want your inner world of tranquility to mirror the outer world of tranquility that's in front of you. And so there's a tiny bit of dissonance, and you want to fix that, so you just move the chair ever so slightly. But if you walk into your house, and everything is perfectly in order, and you had the worst day, and you're you're just, you've had it. You start to throw the chairs over. I mean, hopefully not. Hopefully we have better midos than that. But the reason why people do that, that, what is, that makes no sense. You walk into your own house and you just start like tossing things around. is because your inner world is in total chaos. Your inner world has somebody slamming on the symbols. And you want the outer world to, to, to mirror that. And so tshuva is the world that allows the song of life to come back together again because it allows your inner world to find its inner harmony, and so that the outer world also starts to sing. The chirping of the birds sound nicer when you're in a good mood, as opposed to this like ominous kind of like, almost, Rav Cook writes in, well, hopefully one day we'll get there, we're moving so slowly, but we're not in a rush. Rav Cook writes in Orosachuva itself that for the person who has not yet found the light of tshuva, Every sunrise, every sunset, every time the world is operating as it's supposed to, grates at them so strong. Because every single time the world is operating the way it's supposed to, 
it's a reminder of the fact like, what's wrong with me that everything is doing what it's supposed to be doing? The sun rises when it's supposed to rise, it sets when it's supposed to set, the waves of the sea keep crashing down the way that they're supposed to, the birds are chirping and doing their thing and building nests and the leaves are falling and growing back and nature is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. And I, with my free will, with my free choice, I just can't seem to get it together, or at least not the way that I'd like to. And so every time I come into a world that's operating smoothly, it causes me this, this pain. I don't hear the song of life. And so tshuva returns us to the place. It's poseach shira shiras adam arishon. I am happy, Hashem, with your creations. Because now I also am one of those creations that's doing the will of Hashem. I will sing and exalt in the work of your hands. Now, this is for you, David. This is all very nice, says Rav Kook. I'm painting a very beautiful image for you. What does this mean? How do we do this? Let's, how do I bring this to the Olam HaMaisa, Admakom HaMaisa? In the introduction to Ursa Tshuva, in the introduction to the Sefer Ursa Tshuva, of course, is a small uh, introduction, which we'll probably learn next time. And in the introduction, of Cook talks about how there is this, it's on the backs of what he's saying here, there's this untapped reservoir of Tshuva content to be created. We're tapping into it a little bit here. In this year. He says there's literature to be written about tshuva. He doesn't write this exactly, but there's children's, children's books to be written about tshuva. There's all this stuff that we could, there's art to be made about tshuva. There's music and songs to be made about tshuva. And then Ruth Cook writes, and there's how-to guides. There's practical, step-by-step how-to guides of how to do tshuva. And those things are waiting to be written. And so Ruth Cook says, I don't want to leave out the olam hamaisa. We have to bring all of this very nice theoretical idea to the world of practical application. Ad makom ha-maisa. Ulatimam l'cholam adregas kulam. Till we bring it down to the, to the most basic level of operating. A person has a, you know, all of a sudden has this idea that falls into their mind. I want to, uh, I want to write a Sefer Torah. I want to dedicate a Sefer Torah to my shul. Somebody recently told me that they wanted to do that. Do you know how much work goes into that practice? I mean, that's a very nice idea. In theory, that's like a very nice idea. But then you have to find the right sofa. You've got to price it out. There's different sizes. You know, there's better sofa and then less. You've got to find the mantle, you know, the, the cover that goes on top of it. You have to decide what kind of wood you want it to be wrapped around, whether it's you know, going to be an Ashkenaz or a Sephardi, the different types of script. There's all these different steps along the way. And so having just this kind of theoretical idea that I'd like to do tshuva is about a thousand times more complicated than making a Sefer Torah or renovating your kitchen. And so, ha- you know, so how do I actually do this? Lamaisa. Ad makom ha-maisa. Ula'atimam l'chol ha-madregos kulom. L'halos kol b'chinos shel nefila shel kol echad m'yisrael. And not only that, but says Rav Kook, and that's, he's still here on this trepidation. You know, he's writing to a confidant, to a friend. A student, but a friend. Am I worthy? Says Rav Kook to Rav Yaakov Moshe Chalap and says Davidal to all of you, am I worthy of attempting to explain a how-to guide of how to do, how to do this, how to do tshuva? This is not retiling a, a bathroom floor. This is each individual person. 
kol bechina shel nefila shel kol echad misrael. It's so personal. Tshuva is the sum beyam derech. It's compared to a yam. It's compared to an ocean. Traveling through the path of tshuva is like traveling through an ocean in Chazal. Because it doesn't leave even a trail. You know, it's not like if you at least if you travel on a, on, on earth. So there's a path that maybe I could leave a trail that somebody else could follow. But if I'm a boat and I'm traveling through, through water, then the path that my boat took, there's no like, real markers for any other boat that's going to come afterwards. So how am I supposed to do this? Kol b'china shel nefila shel kol echad mi Yisrael. Am chaviv, am kadosh. Mikol makum shehu. Wherever we fall into as a nation, wherever we fall into as individuals, mikol omeka makim to the deepest depths that we've descended into, shall tachdios aretz, the place of deep subterranean kind of filth that we've fallen into, whether our actions are out of line or whether our way of looking at the world, our das, our philosophies are crooked. Till the very final step, the worst and the most corrupted amongst all of us, how is it that we're supposed to make a how-to guide? How am I supposed to do this? Rukhuk is saying, And this is also important. How am I supposed to do this in a way that is going to present people with a happy version of tshuva? Without bringing sadness to a single person. That's, that's my goal, no less than this. I want a practical how-to guide that includes all of the light that I'm describing here, all of this very high way of thinking about kind of rewiring the way that human beings think about tshuva and, and, and seeing the song of life come to, come to life without saddening a single person. I want it to be a path which is salul, which means like fine flour, meaning like very finely trodden path, and misukal, which means like removed of any stones, salik, you know, to remove any stones, misukalot. The only reason I even have the audacity, just a few more minutes here, the only reason I have even the audacity to attempt this is because as we're moving closer and closer to the final light of redemption, and the nitzotze or, the sparks of redemption, are starting to... Rav Kook says, you think that I would have the audacity to write this book in Poland? No way. Not a chance. Just the other day, I was walking from my house to, to, to the shul, to Mitzvah Ramot, and I counted four out of the seven minim in full blossom. Rimonim, uh, Te'inim, Gefen, there were some beautiful clusters of grapes. Zetim, I think those are the four that I saw. I didn't see any grain. We don't have you know, grain fields here. We don't have the grain and the barley, you know, and there were no dates, Lamaisa. But okay, someone I'm sure has a date tree. Says Rav Kook, Chazal tell us already, there's no Kates Megula, there's no simon, there's no sign that the redemption is imminent 
than the fact that Eretz Yisrael starts to give off its fruit in abundance. So this is amazing. Rav Kook says, you know I have the audacity to write a sefer of tshuva that's going to be filled with the practicality and the illumination of everything that we're talking about here? The only reason I have the, the guts to even try it, says Rav Kook, is because I look around the Eretz Yisrael and I see that Eretz Yisrael is blooming. And if Eretz Yisrael is blooming, that means that Am Yisrael is ready to bloom. And there is, a, there is a, a light which is ready to come down to the world. I'm ready to push the envelope even further than anyone has before to attempt to expand the consciousness of our nation, to come to that place of Hadea mit'ale ad Romeo's, past the world of abstract thinking to a place which is beyond that, to return the world to its proper song, because I see that it's happening anyway. I see that the world is, is, is waking up. I see that Eretz Yisrael is waking up, which means that Hashem is giving me permission to do this. I see the mountains of Ramot that are blossoming with fruits which are doing their work and are starting to blossom. They're giving fruit and branches to the nation of God that are requesting them. In order to do this, I'm going to need a little bit of time, 14 years, it took him 14 years from the time he wrote this letter until we had the Sefer Pratim. It's going to take me a while to clear out the stones, to take out any possible stumbling blocks, in order to remove any swords or daggers that are in the way, and to reveal the light in all of the dark places. And I haven't, listen, I haven't been successful to do it yet. I I haven't figured out how to do this yet. And if a person will try to come and to mechadesh these types of things, these types of dvarim elyonim, these super exalted, very high spiritual concepts, to try to translate this into a workable system for the nation of God now, if a person is not willing to really embrace what I'm saying here, that the land is ready, the people are ready, Hashem is apparently ready, they will not be able to access Torah's emes. If a person doesn't see that the nation of the Jewish people, despite, I mean, things are looking pretty good in Eretz Yisrael in terms of the Torah output, the tefillah output, the raw, you know, compared to what Rav Kook had going on in his day. And yet Rav Kook says, if, if you're not ready to see, I mean, we were able to look backwards and see, Rav Avinar one time was asked, you know, Rebbe, you know, there are, great, there are many gedolim, and Rav Kook had a mahalach, and other gedolim had a mahalach, and, you know, I... I how do we know that Rav Kook was right? So Rav Avinar said, because we're here to see it. We see he was right. Meaning like we see that he was right. That's a, that's a Rav Kook didn't know that he was right. He thought he was right. He believed he was right. His students believed he was right. But we, we see that he was right. Now, okay, you know, that's a, that, try to sell that to, to everybody. Again, nuance is important also. But... To a certain degree, I mean, unbelievable that Rav Kook is saying, we won't be able to bring Am Yisrael to where they can get to if we don't believe what I'm saying here. Unfortunately, Am Yisrael took the bait. 
Meir Bitchunaso, Vatz Hashem Ashayatz, Lehechol Or Geula, Meolefes, Bimatmone, Mestarim, Kemo, Sha'anu, Rowan, Be'enenu. We see that all these things are hidden in their buried treasure. We see it with our own eyes. Umukefet Bahamun Negoim, Shel Ani Hadas, Sovle Cholam Ruchnim. Look around all over the place and you'll see that there are people who are sovel all types of spiritual maladies, spiritual sicknesses. No matter what type of cheshbonos we start to throw around and we try to make excuses for how to look at Am Yisrael, no matter what you try to say when you look at Am Yisrael and try to say, look, this one has this problem, this group has this problem, these people, you know, they're not connected to Torah in this way. This is what Rav Kook was looking at. And he was fighting a war to say, like, no, there, there's Torah buried in these people. There's life buried in these people. There's, there's good character traits. There's Musr. And just straight being like a good person that's buried in these people that you don't have access to over here with all of your Torah. And Rav Kook said, if you're going to ignore all of that, you're simply just turning a blind eye to what is, it's neged atzas Hashem el It's neged atzas Hashem el It's very clear that you're on the wrong side of history. Asher diber tovah Yisrael, Hashem is now speaking good about the Jewish people. Hashem is now presenting good about the Jewish people. L'chonein ur gu'ula v'derachayim l'sharamo. Hasidim lios kulam shavei pesha. That the guarantee is that all of the Jewish people in the future are going to return from their mistakes. And any weakness of the soul, any fear, any weakness of the spirit, like the night will disappear. It'll just, just as the night disappears, it'll all just, it'll, it'll melt off of us. Instead, Hashem will give to the heart of every Jewish person, a brand new way of looking at the world. Not dissimilar to what we find by Yosef HaTzadik when he was rushed out of the well that he was in, that bore that he was in, given new clothing, given a haircut, and brought to a new place of royalty. Then the Jewish people will be prepared to take their rightful place in this hard work of bringing the redemption, which will continue to grow from strength to strength as we continue to go to the highest levels. Oh, uh-huh.